Hi again, everybody. This is the Big Idea, Big Moves podcast. I'm Jamie Allison, and this is the destination for high performers. We talk to people from different genres, different niches, different uh, areas of expertise, all doing kind of cool things in their area. We talk to CEOs. We talk to athletes. We've talked to scientists. We've talked to entrepreneurs, just people doing really cool things that you can hear about their story and and hopefully take some of those things into your own lives. Um, I know today is going to be one of those days where we're going to be able to, to take away some really cool items and and a really cool story too at the same time. Um, Just before we jump into that, um, a couple of different things is one, if uh, you know, now we are getting to the point where people are starting to make some travel plans, which is kind of cool. Um, One of the the places to maybe consider is Wakefield Mill Inn and Spa. And that's um, just outside of Ottawa in Canada. If you're listening internationally, that's where it is. Um, And it is a, uh, again, an inn and spa, but it's right on the edge of the Gatineau Woods. So there's lots of really cool things to do in the area. It's a small, cool town. But the other side is uh, we actually had a couple of our guests, um, Ryan Atkins and Lindsay Webster, both um, stay there. And uh, they did a lot of their training on all of the cross-country fields and all of those and, and the paths all through the, the forest in that area, too. Um, so definitely take a look at it. It is um, wakefieldmill.com if you want to uh, see if that fits. And the other one is um, that we have a lot of business people that listen as well. And um, there are things happening happening and, and changes in workplaces, whether that's uh, a lot more people wanting to work, stay remote and, and do uh, uh, things a little bit differently than they did before. So um, Epitome HR is a, a company that's helping places be able to deal with those things. Um, you can go on their website and they have an HR assessment that just helps you figure out uh, some of the things that they might be able to help you with. Um, and uh, that is www.epitomehr.com. So check that out as well. Uh, and now we'll, we'll jump into our, uh, our interview today. I'm, I'm really happy. This is uh, pretty cool that we get to talk to Alicia Risling. I know she goes by Riz, so we'll, we'll uh, uh, talk about that a little bit. Um, but she is an um, international top-rated bobsleigh pilot with Team Canada. Um, she has been a multi-sport athlete in the past, having played basketball and track before pursuing a career in bobsledding. Um, she was the first woman to ever pilot a four-man sled in an official race that had a crew of all women. Um, she competed in the two-woman bobsleigh event for Canada in the 2018 Winter Olympics with Heather Moist and finished sixth. Um, she is also now, I know, um, a, a bit of a podcaster and, and doing some, uh, some athletic uh, influencing as well. And after, I think, about 22 months of being off for a while, she's back into kind of doing the, um, what she does best and getting back into top form. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But um, I know she has a busy training schedule. So, so thanks, first of all, for joining us today, Alicia. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here, Jamie. Yeah, well, you know, your story, I think, is, is um, I, I'm finding is a little more prototypical, but doesn't sound prototypical because in uh, it, you were a multi-sport athlete that has kind of gravitated to the sport that you're in now. But um, maybe walk us through a little bit about your journey to get there, because it's because uh, coming from basketball and track is a little bit uh, different than people might think. Well, a little different. But the thing that's so unique about bobsled is everyone has such a different story. Like people come from all different backgrounds. Um, We've had people who weren't athletes at all. And we kind of all just like have the qualities that to be a good bobsledder. And that's kind of what, and, and the one thing that we all have is we're all high performance uh, athlete driven. So 
Um, I, I actually had scholarships in four sports, uh, basketball, volleyball, track and field and soccer. I really wanted my whole life. My goal was always to play NCAA, but, um, my hometown Edmonton university of Alberta offered me dual. And it was at a time where I couldn't choose between the two sports. I didn't want to make the wrong choice and go to a school for a sport that I was like, okay, well, maybe I should have chosen the other sport or I had, I always had a hard time choosing. So, um, at the end of the day, I made my mom very happy to stay home. Uh, So I stayed home for my university career, uh, did track and field my first year, my basketball team, we went all the way to the national final. So we were really good. The team had not made, not even made playoffs the year before we brought in a bunch of rookies, um, had a really great core group of third years. And, uh, we went all the way national final. We lost by four, uh, still hurts today. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, uh, after that, I ended up injuring myself. I went straight back to track practice. I think as soon as we landed off the flight back from Newfoundland and, uh, I, it was an overuse injury that kind of just blew up on me. I ended up having to get surgery after my second year. I tried to deal with it. Um, it was com- uh, chronic compartment syndrome. And my coaches said, you have to choose. You can't keep uh, trying to manage both of these. I was a jumper. I was a track and uh, a triple jumper. Wow. So it was extra hard on my shins and just all the volume for basketball. Um, and my team, I was just so in love with my team um, that it, it was a really easy choice from that point on because I didn't want to be a, a, an individual sport athlete. Um, so yeah, in my third year of university, we, uh, after I was recuperating from that surgery, actually, I wasn't allowed to run yet. So I actually had a professor take me under his wing. He was a former Olympic weightlifter and he taught me how to do Olympic lifts and I was quite good at them. And I got good at them pretty quickly. And I remember being in the gym, working out where the bobsled team had do, was doing a recruitment camp for track and field athletes. And I'm looking at the track and field girls they were recruiting. And I'm like, well, I used to beat her. I used to beat her. I was lifting more than all the other girls were lifting. And I was kind of like, why aren't they recruiting me? Um, so I went, I had my professor go over and talk to their recruitment officer and he said, yeah, she can come try out if she wants to, but if she makes the team, she's going to have to move to Calgary. You're going to be traveling all winter. You're going to have to put school on hold. And I was like, okay, never mind. That's not for me. I was, I had zero interest in that. I was fully interested in finishing my, my five years with my scholarship and my eligibility. Um, but it planted that seed. Yeah. And after university, I took a year off to apply to medical school. I wrote my MCAT twice and I didn't get it. And I didn't really have a plan B. So I was kind of at this crossroads in my life. I was, I was actually really struggling with uh, what athletes will talk about uh, an identity crisis when they mm-hmm. finish their careers. And, um, you know, I, I just couldn't help but shake the feeling that I hadn't accomplished everything I wanted to athletically yet. Um, so I started training to, I called down to Calgary. I just said, how do I even try out for this? Cause now I'm not a recruited athlete. There's a different avenue to enter the sport. If you're not recruited through the provincial team here in Alberta and, uh, Calgary is one of the two tracks we have here in Canada, one being Whistler, one being Calgary. Um, so they told me how I got involved. I show up to a D camp two weeks later after not being into a gym for 14 months and, uh, they gave me, an, I, I did okay. I didn't do great. Don't get me wrong. But um, they said, you know, if you want to try out for the team, tryouts are in six weeks. So I put myself through two days, showed up to try out six weeks later and did enough just to speak onto that provincial team. Yeah. Um, 
one year in the back seat, learned all about the sport, fell absolutely head over heels in love with it and decided yeah. that if I was going to become an Olympian, I was going to have to do it from the front seat. So I took the driver school and haven't really looked back from there. I meant to only do it for wow. a couple of years and now I'm heading into year 10. <laughs> Is it, wow, it's year 10 already. Wow. 10. And, and, uh, no, I, I, I think I, I read or I heard the story about, um, you know, when you were preparing for your first World Cup event that you, and, and I think this is a good amateur sports, you know, uh, example is that you had to raise money to actually buy the sled. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so I've gone through quite a few adverse moments of yeah. my career for sure. A lot of, a lot of people telling me that um, I didn't have the potential to be a, a gr- to be great in the sport. Um, yeah. I just I wasn't. The, I'm definitely not the fastest girl on my team. I'm definitely not the strongest. Um, and uh, I've just managed to kind of keep clawing my way and prove people wrong as I go. And it was a situation we were heading into my first year full time on the World Cup, so this would be the 2016-17 season. Yeah. Um, I had just come off a, a season where I was winning North America's Cups handedly. Uh, and, uh, they, I asked what my team got four new sleds mm-hmm. and two men sleds that being, so men do the two men, so do the women. Yeah. And I was the Canada two pilot at the time. And they said, you know, instead of giving two sleds to the women and two sleds to the men, they were going to give three to the men and one to the women. Cause they just didn't think that our women's program had the capacity to be successful. And I, uh, this happened one month before our season started, I flipped a table on the way out and said, you know, not quite dramatic, but I was, I, I am a very, uh, I'm a very good coachable athlete. And this <laughs> was one of those moments where was not my finest point, <laughs> yeah. um, where I, but I really stuck up for myself, but I, I almost, I got in the car out of that meeting and I almost was shaking my head. I'm like, what did I just do? I just promised that I was going to get my own sled. I was yeah. working as a waitress at the time. I didn't have you know, $60,000 to buy a sled. And I didn't have a plan. I didn't have anything. And, but I, I had said it, I'd made this dramatic exit of that (laughs) meeting. And I was like, now I got to do it. So I actually left that meeting immediately went and quit my job. Um, I took some time to track down a regular that I had had working from that job because he uh, was a, an engineer here in the city. Uh, he, I just got to know him just for serving him breakfast three times a week. And yeah. um, he said he might be able to give me some contacts, introduce me to some potential sponsors. And he does just that. He was uh, through in his word. I was so grateful for him because without him by my side, I don't think I, I would have been able to make those contacts because it was a, a Calgary is a very, how our city does is very dependent on how oil is doing. Um, and, uh, this was during a little bit that oil was just rebounding in 2016, kind of coming back up. So he put me in contact with businesses that he knew had work and were, were thriving and hiring people. Cause that was the biggest thing is a lot of people were like, we just laid off so many employees. We can't, yeah. uh, sponsor you right now. So, um, I put together, uh, it traded out my, my I, I took sciences in university, so I, I had no business experience whatsoever. I literally was on Google figuring out how to make a business proposal. Um, I, I watched YouTube videos on how to pitch, and I went into these businesses, and I actually uh, didn't just get the same sled that the rest of my teammates got. I got one that I would consider to be better. Um, and after the Canadian dollar being down and everything, of course, we have to order our sleds from overseas and, and it ended up costing me $91,000 and I had the money to pay it off in two months. 
Wow, that's awesome. And, and I mean, it, it's a it, it became a driver for you, I guess. And and there are things that that are like that. I mean, people say that one of your biggest strengths is your kind of grit and resilience. And, and who you've been talking to? You know, well, you know, <laughs> I, I watch and I, I look and talk and uh, and and where do you think that comes from for you? Like, is that just something that's innate in you, or is it something that you know has been learned? Have you? watched people what where does that come from that's a really good question and I, I I definitely believe it's something that I was born with um if I I, I probably got it from my father uh he is yeah. a professional hockey player he probably was slated to to be a high caliber player and he suffered injury after injury that kind of really capped off what his potential was he was he went into the boards one time and and twisted his knee completely backwards. He was told he would never walk again, yet alone skate. And he ended up to have a professional career in Germany after that. So um, he's kind of always been the driving factor and taking me to all my sports and the life lessons from that. And, and the one thing I don't have in me is any quit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that probably got very difficult during the pandemic when um, you know, I know, and, and many athletes I'm sure felt that during that time but um as you're getting close to large events and things like that it's uh um you know, it must have been very difficult for you to have to deal with things shutting down for that time what w- what was it like and how did you deal with it yeah and you mentioned it before so i had taken the 2019 season uh 2019 20 season off yeah. Uh, again, I tore my calf. These calves are killing me. They've been <laughs> the detriment of my, my career. Um, and so in 2018, I, I tore my calf right before world championships and, uh, it, which were home in Whistler. And I was in a walking cast for the, the five weeks leading up to it. I took it off to compete, but obviously I, I just wasn't ready to race then. Um, and just didn't have the push capacity in me to be able to do well in that race as well as I also did not drive well. So, um, the next year I tried all summer, I trained to come back and it just kept hindering me. I couldn't get through a single sprint workout. And, uh, I was kind of given an ultimatum at my team trials when I wasn't fit to, to even do my team trials because I, I couldn't push at a full capacity. I was at an extreme risk for a full tear of my Achilles. Um, and, uh, they offered me an injury card, which I, I, it threw me off because I was, I didn't see it coming. I thought that just because at the time they, they offered me a spot right on the team just because of my resume. And we didn't really have any development, um, athletes that were ready to go for that world stage yet. Um, and they were right though, because I just, over the last couple of years, my performance had been declining in terms of my ability to push. And, um, it was because I couldn't train at full capacity. So I took that whole season off and then the pandemic hit and (laughs) it's kind of one of those decisions where I was like, had I known there was going to be a worldwide dependent, no chance would I have taken that season off, like not a chance because, um, I also had to go to a lot of debt, um, that year because I wasn't competing. So I wasn't able to get the same sponsorship dollars that I was, uh, I was going to school and, and I was doing this all purposefully because I had this whole plan on how I was going to make all the money back. I was going to get some sponsorship dollars. I had some serious, um, speaking engagements lined up for the next summer that were going to even, you know, even cover the, the, I, cause like things like my, the injections that I had to get physiotherapy three times a week, my insurance ran out by the time seasoning even started and um it just all added up and then the pandemic hit and I couldn't even see my trainers for four months uh it was tough it's it was tough there was a 
a couple weeks of absolute sheer panic when we went into that lockdown. I think I was like in my room sobbing, like quarantining. Um, I did air quotes for that because I just felt so sick. And I was like, maybe I have coronavirus because I was so sick because I was just so stressed out. Um, And then I was very thankful last year. We actually did get the opportunity to compete. We didn't get to go to the first half of the season. So I missed the whole first half of the season as well. Um, And then we got to go to Europe for the second half and, to be completely honest, I wasn't ready to go. I wasn't, I wasn't where I needed to be. Um, I ended up having to take a job last summer where I was on my feet just because I, I, the sponsorship dollars weren't there. Um, and, uh, you know, it it became more about survival just to make it through rather than actually being ready to perform. And, um, you know, there was a lot of tears, there was a lot of upsetness and, and, um, a lot of, contemplating life like why did I even go another quad I should have just retired an Olympian and been happy and and moved on with my life um and unfortunately that didn't happen and now we're here and you know it's almost like it's too close we've come too far now I've made it through where there's a light at the end of the tunnel and uh it's just I can't not make that all not worth it so in that time off I I uh, completely learned how to relearned how to run. I kind of had to build my foundation from the ground up. So again, like when we came back into season last year, after not seeing my trainers for four months, um, I just wasn't where I needed to be from physically. And um, I was really, really rusty when we got to the international stage after not being in an international race for, yeah, it was 22 months. So um, it was, it was a weird spot to be in, but um, we've made it. And with the Olympics being, you know, nine months away yeah yeah it's uh i i'm running faster than i've ever run at this time of year i pb my my monobob push awesome um and the ice house and i have and it's not quite where i want it to be yet but i have to remind myself i'm like it's june we're sitting pretty like it's not too happen that in june i'm feeling this good so um hopefully fingers crossed that it was all worth it (laughs) yeah yeah well and and, uh, you mentioned how how stressful that could be and and Mm -hmm. and even just um um for from a performance standpoint you know now now that you ha- like hopefully you'll get back to something that's a little more normal even mm-hmm. even during that time how do you approach that because some people do kind of do things to to either de-stress or or really work on their mental performance do you do stuff um for yourself from from that end or is it primarily kind of a physical thing for you so it's funny because in that time even the things that I would want to do from a mental standpoint um I, uh, I used to go and float tanks all the time. Those weren't available, uh, saunas for, and do some breathing exercises. Those weren't available for me to go in. Um, but the one thing that I can attribute everything to, and just my, my ability to, to remain true to who I am and, and come back as that resilient athlete that I, I like to define myself as, um, I did this thing called cognitive hypnotherapy. And I worked with uh, a man based out of the UK. We were able to meet on Zoom and working with him not only changed my career from an athlete perspective, it changed my life. It changed how I I think of myself. Um, It changed, what it changed was it helped me really understand who I am as, as a person. What are my triggers? What makes me tick? And by working through those things, then I was able to develop coping mechanisms for based on what emotion that I was feeling. Um, the thing I learned being open and honest with everyone is that I embarrass really easy. Um, 
And I, I, I worry a lot about what people think about me. Now people can think of that a negative or, but it's, it's not positive or negative. It's just based on you. It's what makes you tick and everyone will have um, something very differently. So um, I had to learn how to let that go, how to, how to be true to who I am and not worry about the, the image that people are pulling me or how people are viewing me. Um, and, uh, it just took a lot of journaling and self-reflection. Um, and I, I now have learned how to say no, um, which has been very tough for me. Um, I, I like doing everything. If I get asked to do this, that, this, whatever, I'll do everything. And then I forget to take time for myself. Um, so that was a really big component in, in really kind of keeping me centered and keeping me focused and, uh, not, I kind of remove some of that external pressure when you're not so worried about what other people are, are thinking of you from afar. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that, that you really have delved into that so much. It will, uh, it'll be interesting as you, um, you know, start to get your performance back and all of those things to see how that, uh, how that helps as well. Cause it almost gives you a different maturity level than maybe you even had before for, from a performance standpoint. Oh, like a hundred percent. I'm like a hundred percent more mature than I was before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's, that's awesome. Um, so one of the, one of the other things is I know that you've, you've started to delve into um, the podcasting stuff and, and, and other things. Um, and a lot of that is um, from what I've seen is, is based on, you know, uh, girls getting, you know, getting confidence and how do parents kind of help their, help their young, young girls stay in sport and, and things like that. Is that, um, is it, how important is that to you? And, um, and what are some of the things that, that you're really kind of telling them that, that is important to make sure that you build, build young girls up? Yeah. Um, I, so in 2015, when I was put in that position where I, I had the privilege of being the first woman to ever pilot a four woman sled, um, in an international race, uh, that wasn't an opportunity that I sought. That was one that was pushed on me. And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and, and was performing well at the time that I was given the opportunity, but that really inspired in me, um, my philanthropic wish. If there's one legacy that I want to lead, it's, it's how important sport is for young girls and sport teaches us lessons of resilience. Um, sport teaches us lessons of, um, to camaraderie teamwork, how, how to manage different personalities. There's just so many things that I learned from sport that are going to transfer to the rest of the world. It is open, uh, to the real world. I should say Mm -hmm. it has opened so many doors for me. I've got to travel. Um, I'm, I'm leading towards a career that I think I was always destined for, but never planned on. Um, and that is, I want to get into sports broadcasting. Um, and, but it all stemmed from that, that opportunity where I got to make history. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, and it's definitely one of my proudest achievements, uh, yet to date. So in the podcast world, uh, my co-host Grace and I, Grace is a skeleton athlete. Mm-hmm. Uh, her and I train a lot together and it's through kids sport, um, Calgary. However, we do have a big Alberta focus, um, and soon to be world focused because we're kids sport Canada is going, um, more internationally, yeah. I guess, or nationally worldwide. Canada wide. Holy cow. I'm still. Uh, <laughs> um, 
but we people really can like listen to, to it everywhere. So yeah, I'll throw everywhere. that out there. It's called Face First, right? The Is Face that... First podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. I'll throw that out there. <laughs> so a lot of our messaging right now is just based on, uh, share, we do a lot of sharing stories as well, but, um, most recently we had a girl from Edmonton on who just discovered, uh, she has indigenous roots. And for instance, she's, she didn't know. So she doesn't have a lot of that culture within her. And her parents actually hid it from her because they didn't want her to feel like she was at a disadvantage, which breaks my heart. So yeah. she, so we interviewed her and, and kind of how she found out uh, she's a soccer player at U of A. So we're Panda's alumni together. And um, uh, we also just did one with uh, girls in sport Alberta. So we're learning a lot of the data. We're taking a lot of the data, um, especially to new Canadians um, and lower income areas, which is what where kids sport is very focused and, um, finding, you know, um, new families that come from cultures that maybe don't have a lot of women's sports or, or, or value putting women's sports and just trying to, the education piece on like, this is what you can get to, um, 94% of women in executive positions in the business world have a sporting background, which is just such a, a key piece to like, like 94%, like it makes people really perk up and, and pay attention to what you're doing. So we're just trying to create awareness and um, really just try to be positive role models for young girls. Because when I was, when I was a young impressionable teenager, like a sport for me ended after university because there was no other option. I didn't see that being uh, something like if you would have told me that I would be 32 years old and still a professional athlete I would have laughed in your face because that just wasn't a thing and uh, the way the world's changing right now it is because girls want it and they keep asking for it and they're pushing for it and it's just such a powerful movement and the more that we can get girls into it and I can't wait to see in our future when we'll have you know professional leagues for for women across Canada and, and across the world. Yeah, no, that's a, a, that's a, a real legacy to leave because it, it is, and there's so much of a gap. I, I mean, you mentioned um, um, about how many people in t- kind of top level roles and CEO roles, all of those things, um, often they do come from that kind of, you know, competitive sport background or, or just sports in general. Um, but the the linkages and networks and things like that for women versus men is, is still, and I'll say this from a male perspective, it's, it is, um, it is not equal as yet and, um, and very much not equal. And, and uh, um, I, I, I'm actually working with an organization now that's doing some of those things to help bridge between, you know, university college and into the workforce, because there really is just not the same type of supports and, and networks there. So what you're doing, I think, is is hugely needed and uh, um, will make a difference for sure. Uh, um, you did um, kind of mention that, um, you know, it, Athletes, I think, can have um, a, a, a bit of an identity, kind of not an identity crisis, but it, it can be very difficult for them to figure out what happens after I've put everything into a sport and then have to transition. Um, you're not there yet, but you know, obviously, you've you've started thinking about that and, and things mm-hmm. like that. Is, is that something that you see a lot in in the people that you kind of um, you know are, are in your peer group and and how are you kind of really preparing yourself a little bit for that transition? It happens all the time, all the time, and it happens to people in very different ways. Um, some people it doesn't hit them for a couple of years. Uh, for me out of basketball, it hit me immediately because I had been an athlete my whole life. So at 21, you know, I didn't, I, I failed my first huge goal that I had set for myself and not getting into medical school. And, um, 
I didn't really want to go back and upgrade and, and I wasn't quite sure what a plan B would be. And I, I didn't know who I was anymore. Um, and I can say, actually, I just talked to a girlfriend that I played with, um, for three of my five years and her and I were on the golf course this week. And she said it didn't hit her for a couple of years. Like it, she went through, she was finally working and she was just kind of finally having fun. She felt like she was like released of her duties of not being an athlete anymore. So yeah. she, she enjoyed it. But then it was a couple of years later where she was like, Whoa, like I, I'm, I missed that. Like, I don't remember, like, I, I don't know how to be, not be part of a team. Um, so it, it happens to everyone very differently. Um, this time around and just being so aware of what I went through in that year, um, and just not having something forward to look forward to, I guess, and, and being excited for my future in the long term. Um, I work with game plan game plan is a wonderful organization that mm-hmm. team Canada has created, um, that works directly with like Olympic level athletes or anyone that plays a, an Olympic sport, I should say, because it's not just for people who don't who didn't make it to the Olympics, everyone who's kind of within the Canada sport Institute, um, is eligible for it. So I've taken quite a few, I pretty much did every in-service they offered me. I learned how to do my taxes through there. I learned how to, um, I learned some financial literacy. I learned how I took public speaking courses. Um, and from there, they just really help you kind of shape what your future looks like and, and helps you kind of there there's networking events where you could meet with people who you might have an interest in careers for, um, and I, I wouldn't say I learned what I wanted to do through them, but because of the, the resources that they gave me, I really was forced to start to think about what life is going to look like after sport. Yeah. Um, and I've been thinking about it for a couple of years already. So, um, little things that I can do now, I'm trying to really work on my networking of people in the industry that I want to get to. Uh, I'm having my, my media attache with my team is, um, introducing me to some of the local, uh, networks here. So I can do some job shadowing, yeah. uh, things like that. Just trying to get myself set up for my future so that when I do retire, I, I will have that more seamless transition that will make life a little bit easier. Um, and the biggest thing is, um, I've set up, I've reached all my big goals that I wanted to already in my sport minus my Olympic medal. So, um, that helps too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you'll check that one off soon. So you're, you're fine. Hopefully soon. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so one thing that we always do on the podcast is ask everybody, um, um, that we interviewed to, to kind of give a couple of actionable tips for people um, related to what we've been talking about. And, and one of the things that has, that has come out pretty clear is, is your resiliency and how you've, how you've really kind of um, went through a bunch of different kind of tough things and, and been able to push yourself through it. So um, right now there are probably a lot of people listening, whether they're, whether they're athletes or whether they're um, professionals and, and uh, doing different things, uh, they might feel really discouraged right now because for a lot of people, this has been a very difficult time. Um, do you have any tips on, you know, how do, how do you respond to that? Maybe kind of change your perspective. Are there a couple of things that you think really kind of work um, and, uh, and that maybe if they wanted to kind of apply those things in the next little while that they'd be able to do that? I've got two for you. So my biggest one, and it's the one I preach all the time, is, is always having a goal. 
And that goal can be a 10 year away goal. It can be a next week goal. It can be an end of the day goal because anytime we achieve a goal, it actually makes us feel better about ourselves. So for people who feel extremely stressed throughout their day, having a to-do list, and it can be as simple as taking out the trash, having something that you can check off that list actually, I don't know what the chemical reason why inside I should know this because I took a lot of physiology. It was a long time ago, but um, that actually like triggers something inside of you to make you feel more calm. Um, and always striving to work towards something is something that I've I've always helped make me feel like I have a purpose. And having a purpose in life is actually one of the the biggest things that I've learned that that helps people feel settled, helps feel people feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that's another one that I really um, preach to people, especially people who are just, they're in a great job, their family's awesome. And they, their day-to-day is just day-to-day. And um, those are often the people that over time, they start to slip into that little bit of I won't call it a depression, but call it into that sadness. And it's because you, you're kind of just existing. Um, so really do some time, take some time to yourself. And that will actually lead me into my second one is, yeah. is schedule time for yourself. Um, uh, some people call it self-care Sunday, do it whatever day of the week you can take two to three hours, have a bubble bath, make your favorite food. Um, uh, take some time to like be alone with your thoughts think about yourself, uh, think about what, what your purpose is, what, what is something that you really hope to accomplish in your life? What do you hope your legacy is going to be? Um, and just by checking in with that weekly, you like, you don't always have to be working towards it every single day, but if it's just like something that you're, you're, you're getting towards, or you you have a, a dream, whether it be your finances or your career or whatever it is, um, just taking that time to work on yourself. For me, it's a glass of wine and a bubble bath with uh, some pretty slow music. Cause usually I listen to like some pretty upbeat stuff and, uh, and, and you have to schedule it. You can't just like, Oh, I have some time today. I'm going to take it. It's like, you have to make that time for yourself. Um, otherwise life gets too busy. So those would be my biggest tips. Uh, the, the, yeah. Perfect ones. And especially, I think you touched on something that it's not just somebody who are maybe early in your career and, and are often, you know, okay, I want to achieve A, B, C, and D. Sometimes it is that you're in, you're in, you're in a good spot, but over time it's being able to, to kind of, you know, pull, um, uh, be able to pull towards something, uh, you know, helps exactly. as well. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, well, uh, again, this has been fantastic. If people want to um, follow you for the next little while, find out what you're doing. And, and uh, obviously uh, as we get close to the Olympics and things like that, uh, what are the best ways of doing that? Alicia? Uh, my biggest one is Instagram. I'm always on there. I always answer my messages. I'm at Riz, R-I-Z-Z, bobsleigh. Um, and uh, you'll see a lot of workout videos during the summertime for sure. And then the winter, it's all about our travels and behind the scenes of what being an Olympic athlete is like. Yeah. Um, and I also repost some of the stuff from there about when our new podcast drops, which is usually on Fridays. Awesome. So okay. first podcast, wherever your podcasts are find as well. Well, and what we'll do is we'll put those in the show notes as well. So people can click through, make sure, uh, make sure you subscribe to that podcast. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, do it right now. Um, we have great guests every week. Um, and uh, um, definitely, uh, you know, again, thank you. you you've um, brought forth some really cool stuff today. And uh, I know lots uh, that people can take away from, from today's discussion. So thanks for taking the time, Alicia. Really appreciate it. 
Sure. Thanks for having me. That was fun. Thanks, All right. And we will talk again to everybody else on uh, Big Idea, Big Moves. Mm-hmm.